Hello, welcome back to the Ask Mike show. Mike here as your host. And today I'm joined with Alexandra Kiroy Bogatareva, who is a two-time bronze medalist at the Commonwealth Games and an Olympic Games qualifier in rhythmic gymnastics. She is the top rhythmic gymnastics athlete in Australia. Alex, thanks for being a guest on the show. Hi, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) So one of the initial questions that I want to start with, because I know next to nothing about rhythmic gymnastics, and I'm sure there are other people listening that watch gymnastics, they do the whole routine, all the movements, they finish, and then my initial reaction is, was that actually any good? Was that (laughs) good? How do you score? Like what? In the back of my mind, I go, I watch it, and my eyes follow it around, and go, whoa, that was amazing, and then they do the the sort of dismount stuff, and they they finish, and they walk off, and then I go, so was that bad, or was that good? Like what, what makes a routine good like what's the what what, what's the distinction between all the numbers because I I would sit there and I would give everybody a 10 because I don't know anything about what goes on the four well that was good uh 10 what's the what's the system like do do you know the system or do you do your best moves and then you pray that you get the you get the result that you want what's it like No, I'm personally one to, I learned the code, I understand it, I know the value of everything because I'm very mathematical, I know what everything's worth and I do it. So for everyone who's listening, the basic thing is we have difficulty and we have execution. So you're based off difficulty, which is how hard you do things. So for some people, it may seem easy, but what we actually do could be worth a lot of points, like you said, or execution, which is how well you perform the difficulty. So if you have a step out or you have a bent arm or your leotard doesn't match the music or your music just doesn't match your personality, it could be like that drastic, then your execution would be low. So it's things like these that the judges look for and minus from, you know, your total score. So it's just difficulty execution. It's also very important to be very artistic and show your emotions on the floor. (laughs) It's interesting how you bring up that it's not about the score, it's about down from 10. It's almost like they're looking for things to pick up on, to mark you down, rather than just giving you a score. Because some people look at it and go, is that a six or an eight? Like, what's the difference? But actually, they're starting at 10 and they're seeing what to take off. Is that right? Yes. For execution, you start at 10 and you go down. However, for difficulty, only recently they opened the score to be open. So you can go over 10. It's a very new thing. So now girls are hitting, you know, the 30 mark, the 25 mark which is for us like unbelievable so yes for execution you count down from 10 and for difficulty you can have an unlimited score and the more you do the higher your score is. (laughs) Are there any tricks that are shall we say straightforward but have like a big return in terms of the scoring is there anything in particular that the judging system favors like if you throw something is that better than like a twirl say or anything that you would work on that 
is easy even to begin with, but you look at it and go, I know that's going to be like a high return on the the move that I'm going to do. Yes, it definitely depends on the type of gymnast you are. Example for me, I do a lot of hard throws because that's what I'm good at. I'm good at precision, I'm good at counting, and I'm good at my maths. So it's easy for me to know where I'm going to throw and do my things. However, for some people, like you said, it's good to twirl and to pivot. And through that, the more they pivot, the higher their score is. So it's very important for the coach to find like the benefits and the strong aspects of a gymnast and to focus on that to build the score. That makes perfect sense because it's like yeah. stick to your strengths and you'll do better than trying to do something like trying to do something that isn't your style. It's like a second rate version of that as opposed to a first rate version of something that you're actually quite good at. Yes, you can say like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you you've competed in the, the Commonwealth Games and I know that you're either en route to or already have qualified for the Olympics. Now, I'm aware that they're like four-year cycles in terms of like the events and the competitions and things. How do you structure four years? Now, from other sports like running, let's say, you might do like 5K runs, 10K runs, half marathons to build up to the big day, the, the marathon that you want to run. Is gymnastics and rhythmic gymnastics, is that the same kind of thing where you're still competing, still training, and then your aim is to peak for that four years? It's similar in the aspect that you set your goal for the Olympics and you build up towards it. So four years ago, I can say I was a junior, only becoming senior. So I didn't have the Olympics as my short-term goal. It was definitely ultimately my long-term goal. However, I began with transitioning from my, you know, little age to becoming a senior proper athlete competing against, you know, 25-year-olds. So it was it's a slow gradual process of becoming and getting closer to, you know, qualifying for the Olympics. So as I got closer, Commonwealth Games, that was my goal. After Commonwealth Games, being the number one Australian athlete, slowly, you know, the steps build up and you eventually become very close to, you know, hitting the Olympic spot. <laughs> Is it based on points then? Do you accumulate points for a place that you get and there are qualifying number of points before you're considered for the Olympics or the Commonwealth? Because one of my sports that I used to coach, I used to coach tennis. So a lot of my background in terms of sports and individual sports I'm probably uniquely positioned to ask you quite uh picky questions so if they're a bit intense then I'll apologize in advance but is, is that how it works is it a, a ranking system and a point system and then if you hit their cutoff then you're then considered for the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games for the Olympics I can say that it's going to be qualifications next year. There's one competition that will ultimately decide who's going. However, before that, you have to be consistent. You have to be, you know, number one in Australia because if you're coming number 10th, then, you know, you, then you kind of drastically progress. You have a lower chance of, you know, qualifying only because you're inconsistent and you went from a low ranking. So, yes, it is based on ranking. However, we don't accumulate any points. There is no tally. You just have to, you know, they would, we were notified that you have to do really well at this competition. You have to come first. You have to 
maintain your first place position and then uh, Gymnastics Australia will choose who they want to go. For Commonwealth Games, it was a very similar process as well. Right, cool. It's interesting how it's not just about the one competition, it's about how consistently you yeah. are as well. Is there is anything that you can speak to for how you're able to do that for, let's just say, I wouldn't say the four-year cycle, but they, they might pick it closer than that in terms of like how they match up the consistency element. Like how long is consistent? Is it four years? Is it 12 months? Like what's the what's the system that you would follow yourself for where does your aim to qualify, right? As of recording this, your aim to qualify for the Olympics. So do you base it on a 12-month cycle? Is that what they would base it on? Or is it a longer duration of time? I would say a longer duration of time. I reckon they do focus on even your junior results because if you were, you know, someone at the back, not very, you know, noticeable, it's a little bit more difficult for you to become higher up high-ranked gymnast. So definitely long-term. However, for the 12-month cycle example, I was number one ranked Oceania in Oceania for the World Championships in 2019. They're going to be focusing on that result as well and taking that part of the you know qualification process because I was number one ranked in Oceania, which is the quota spot for us. So they do take long-term. However, it's based mostly on short-term only so they can see the consistency of the gymnast. That makes perfect sense, actually, when you think about the the crossover as well, because yeah. those of you that can't actually see us, you're, you're, only, you're only 18, aren't you? So you're, yeah. you're still a teenager. So <laughs> it, it's a very young sport. Yeah. It's not something that... Not something that people might realize, similar to the sports I, I brought up, tennis, is that there are people with like performance coaches and personal trainers and they're like seven. And I'm watching them and I'm thinking, that can't be good for the kid. That can't <laughs> be good for the child to have so much built around them and all that pressure riding on the, the child being so good. What was it like for yourself growing up? Like, was it that sort of thing or... Did it sort of take off at a certain point? What was your journey like in terms of getting started? But then did you have a turning point when you thought this is getting serious now? Definitely. I can say when I was little, I have been brought up in a specific way. My whole family is Russian and, you know, hard work is something that's valued in our family. And I remember there was a competition that was a very big turning point in my career where I came second and I was very excited. I was happy. However, my coach and my parents, they said, you know, you didn't put in your 120% because they knew that, that it wasn't my maximum capacity. So that was a big turning point for me only because I realized that you can't always be happy with your results only because you didn't put in the maximum effort that you could. So that changed my whole perspective on how I should be training and how I should be you know, competing at competitions. And since then, um, everything I do, I put in 120% and I make sure I do it as best as I can because then I know that I did everything I could to achieve my goal. However, when I was 11, 
that was when I realized that I was doing, you know, really well because I went to Spain for an international competition and I placed first there amongst, you know, top countries, Russia, Ukraine, America, Spain. And I went one, which was very surprising because I was very young, very little. I was new to this environment. So it was very exciting. And that definitely, you know, boosted my confidence at that young age. And since then, I've been progressing and slowly building my way up to the 2021 Olympic Games. (laughs) 11 years old and you come first in a, what can seem like an international worldwide Mm -hmm. competition. What? What ran through your mind? I know we're talking talking seven years now, so it's been a while. Um, what what ran through your mind with that? Did you suddenly train harder when you got the ability to go? You know, is it just a free entry? Did you have to qualify for it? What was that process like in terms of from your perspective as as the athlete, as being an athlete at eleven years old? Um, what was the what was the whole process like? What ran ran through your mind when you were told that you you can enter? You know, you've you've made the cut almost. And what shifts did you make to be able to feel like feel like that you belong there? Because when I used to compete, I I always struggled. I always didn't realize like I didn't really deserve to be amongst these other people that all seem so calm so like oh I've done this a hundred times before and I walk in I'm like I'm a bag of nerves right I don't don't belong here everyone's got sponsors and I'm like oh and is that is that what it was like for you like what was the what was that situation like I definitely remember that we were just training. I hadn't done any international competitions, only, you know, interstate uh, in Australia. And our coach decided to begin showing her gymnasts, our little ones, so me. <laughs> and we applied for this competition. Of course, we were able to enter and we went over to Spain and I had my competition there. And like you said, I got there. I was bad nerves, of course. I was very nervous only because it was my first, you know, major competition against top countries, girls, which like, I've heard of, I've seen, maybe like, you know, I've, you know, heard about, etc. And I was very nervous. I remember the day before we had podium training, which is like training at the arena prior to the actual competition. And I was super nervous, like any child would when they're, you know, at a major event. Yeah. And that's when I realized afterwards that under underestimating your abilities won't come in handy only because you become even more nervous you're not confident and you end up doing worse than you actually are able to so that's why I went in there with no expectations and I came out with you know (laughs) a gold medal around my neck and fun fact I got a kettle as well which I was able to take home as a big (laughs) prize (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's fair you got a medal and a kettle I think I'll prefer the medal to be honest, I think I will go with the go with the medal. Thanks yep. very much. Uh, so, did you do anything different? Like what was the time between knowing that you were going and actually being there? And did you change anything because you were ten or eleven? So, did your parents change anything? Because I'm aware that you're probably too young to really have much of a say at that point. Um, what was it like that time between knowing you were going and turning up? Did you make any changes? 
I can say that my parents didn't go with me. So it was even more difficult only because I was there with my coach. So my second mother, (laughs) however, my parents went there. So it was, you know, difficult. They were always on the phone with me, but I didn't make any changes until after the competition only because I went in there once again without any expectations. And I was just going there to show my best and to see where I'm ranked amongst these girls I went there with my best and it turns out my best was the best in the competition and I ended up coming away with the first place. And then afterwards, that's when I can say that I learned my lessons about underestimating myself and, you know, making sure that you you can say fake it till you make it. That's what you say with confidence. Make sure you always have that level of confidence to be able to show what you can actually do. (laughs) Sometimes... Sometimes 120%, as you mentioned a few times, it's actually 100%. But there is that confidence and lack of underestimating that allows you to find that extra yeah. 20% almost. Like that's that's where it is. That's where the 20% hides. It hides in the, you don't really know how good you are until until you find out. So how did your, how did your self-talk change once you got the medal? because you didn't make any changes until after you already won. So how did that shift your mindset? And I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you took it a lot more seriously after that point, but what, what adjustments did you and the coach make? I can definitely say it was a turning point for me only because I actually understood where I was standing amongst these girls and what my capabilities were. Because before that, I was only an Australian gymnast. I was training in Australia, you know, very good at my age um, back then. But when I got there and I saw myself against these amazing girls that were super flexible and super good at what they do, I realized that, you know, I'm not that bad. I can actually win a kettle again, you know, like I can come back for more. So it was kind of just a shift in the way I began training afterwards because my coach and I, we started working more seriously. We started participating in more overseas tournaments and that's when, you know, everything got more serious and eventually led to Commonwealth Games and World Championships. (laughs) Did anything change in terms of your own level of commitment? And I say that because... When uh, when you start to take things seriously, things do tend to change. There's a bit of a, a shift in in your own energy around it. Sometimes there's like, oh, I've got to do this because I'm preparing for the Commonwealth Games or any of that sort of, I've got to be more committed and it looks this particular way. Is that what happened for you or was it a bit more of a, a natural thing? Yes, I definitely, you can say to an extent, I became more committed only because I was doing prior to, you know, gymnastics. I always also did music outside. I did piano lessons, exams. I had, you know, a lot of school as well. And in terms of commitment, it became choosing, you know, music and gymnastics. So I definitely had to choose gymnastics and, you know, eventually, slowly, gradually, you know, leave music only because a child cannot handle, you know, doing so much outside in their spare time. And afterwards, it just became more training hours. It became more physio appointments. It became, you know, focusing on myself. It became doing extra things at home because I want to do extra. I want to be better. 
And it was just grad- gradual change to now eventually I'm literally living my life every day in gymnastics. I wake up, do a walk, beneficial once again. I wake up doing physio exercises. I wake up doing anything, you know, that's going to help me for where I want to be. So, yes, my commitment did become gradually more committed, you can say, to the sport. (laughs) It's interesting because from a young age, a lot of people encourage children to do a lot of different sports. There are so many different schools of thought on it and – I know from my experience when it comes to tennis is that like cutting away of sports and activities, if you will, happens much earlier. Like it happens like before they're 10. It happens before they're six in some of them. They pick up a racket, they find that they're good. Maybe their parents played and it's like, right, we'll do a couple of sports that involve holding something as well. So it's funny how the parents would turn around and go, right, well, you do loads of sports, but they'll all involve rackets or bats so that no matter what, you're holding something. And um, there's a part of it that was like, but the children that play football are better than the children that will play cricket and, and things like that because of the sort of transfer over of like skills and things. With gymnastics, is a little bit different. How much... How much did you do in terms of like the extra stuff? You mentioned the walk, you mentioned the physio and all those things. How much did you do that you could feel like was affecting the gymnastics like solely? And then how much did you do that was more about yourself and your own mental state and just how you feel? Because I know that will play a big part in, in how you do as well. Definitely. I can also incorporate at a young age, I began working with a sports psychologist, which is very beneficial. And till this day, I still work, you know, with them now. And that's what helped me in terms of my gymnastics pathway. And, you know, doing the walks, like you said, doing the physio exercises, that was also part of the gymnastics aspect. However, the walks can also be mental relaxation you know I was never you know not allowed to go see my friends or like miss the movies yes I was restricted in terms of time and yes I didn't always personally choose to go only because I wanted to rest or do something however that was my mental side and the different aspect which allowed me to switch from you know gymnastics to just a normal life to be able to you know relax mentally and psychologically recharge for training so once again It is, you know, outside of gymnastics. However, it does help in terms of gymnastics only because you're able to refresh and reload your mind to be able to go back into training. So it's very, um, you know, common that you have to make sacrifices for any sport that you do and they're ultimately worth it. So I did sacrifice a lot and till this day, it has made me who I am. So, yeah. (laughs) I appreciate you mentioning that it is worth it because so often it can get difficult and people start questioning whether it is worth it. And people listening probably just need to hear that it is, you know. Um, Was there a shift when it went from being fun to serious? Because... You know, a lot of people, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he could get paid to do a hobby and things of that nature? And they realize that 
the fact that you're then being paid for it and you do it full time and it's your thing that changes the dynamic of the fun element talk to us a bit about that I can definitely say that we do not get paid in Australia for what we do unfortunately maybe someday that will change but when we were talking about that competition in Spain which I won which was an international tournament I can say that was my turning point in terms of prior to that I didn't fluff around at training I never did I was always a very determined kid I set my goal and I went towards it but it was more of a fun aspect socializing and I worked hard towards what I wanted to and once I won an international tournaments with top gymnasts that's when it clicked where you have to kind of sacrifice once again the fun aspect and turn it into you know a goal you turn you begin turning everything into a goal so you could be you know for fun you could be doing strength exercises but you set you end up turning that fun into a goal so it could be I'm going to do 15 instead of 10 I'm going to do 30 instead of 15 etc etc and that's when it turns into you know that gradual turn from fun to actually setting goals and actually starting to get places (laughs) it's interesting when you turn it into a goal as well because I guess when it's when it's just for fun I suppose there might not be a goal attached to it because you've got that something that you want to achieve one of the things that stood out for me was you've got this natural ability to break things down this natural ability to break things down from commonwealth games to right but what do i do every day what what goals do i set for today that will help me get to the commonwealth games or to the olympics is that something that you do or is that something that the coach does or is it a bit of both because very often sporting athletes if you will a lot of it's done either to them or or for them you know you've got the psychologist and you've got people that give you your meals and your smoothies and your shakes and all you do is take orders to a certain degree and trust that they know what they're doing so how much of it is that and how much of it is just the way you're wired I can say it's once again from a young age, the work with sports psychologists, they're the ones who were able to explain to me what goals are for. So I know many gymnasts now, some I train with, some I've seen, they train without a goal. And I can say for a fact, they don't get anywhere because they don't have a goal, which is something which many people don't understand, but I have seen it myself. And I can tell from my perspective, you know, I set my goals. And it doesn't have to be long-term goal. You make you have to make sure you set the small goals and then eventually it builds up over time. So I've seen girls, you know, they don't set a goal, they don't get anywhere and they get upset when they don't, you know, make the national team or they don't do this, et cetera. So yeah. it's very important to, you know, work with the sports psychologist to be able to find your drive, find that passion and find those goals that you personally want. It's all about the passion because, like I said before, there's lots of kids, which I know, which I train with. They have the passion for the sport, but they don't know what drives them. So it's not only the physical aspect of being super strong, super flexible, super, you know, artistic in gymnastics. You also, it's 50-50. You have to be psychologically prepared for what you're going to be through, going to go through. And you have to have that, you know, drive and those goals ready. So you're able to, you know, get to the ultimate destination that you want to be at. 
So I, it's definitely something that's been built in me from a very young age. And that's what helps me today. Like I wake up, I have a structure for the day. It's not only gymnastics, it's just, it's become, you know, the way I am. I'm just organized, I'm structured and I plan everything. <laughs> so what is your morning routine then? So you wake up, what's the length of time? And then just take people through what, what your morning looks like. Well, it really depends. If I'm overseas training, then I could be training for eight, nine hours. I recently just came out of exams. So I only had four or five hours of training a day only because I was studying for the other eight hours in the morning. <laughs> and so it really depends on my day. But now going into competition season, I can say for a fact that it's wake up at six. I have morning training from seven to 10, sometimes a little bit longer, really depends on you know, how how badly it goes or how well it goes. <laughs> and then I come home, I do my physio exercises. I sometimes have a nap to recharge. I do my therapy sessions. I have, you know, pool or sauna at home and etc. And then I go for my evening training four till eight. And sometimes it could run over time. Also depends, dinner, sleep, and redo that all again. And that's how my day goes. <laughs> Do you have the the kind of personality that is okay with that routine? Because it seems reasonably structured. I know you mentioned that. To some people, that's almost like regimented. Like they've, they've bridged that gap from structure to you're up, you do it, you go to bed, you're up, you do it, you go to bed. To some people, that's difficult. To some people, that would grind them down. Do you ever have moments like that or is it just kind of like this is just what I need to do? It's definitely difficult but once again I can say it's worth it. You have to have the structure and you have to be committed to be able to get where you want to. I don't know any Olympic champions in rhythmic gymnastics that just you know fluffed around, woke up like oh should I go to training? Should I maybe sleep in? It's it's not how it works. You have to structure your day you have to have minimum of six hours of training a day like for rhythmic gymnastics we have a lot of hours that we have to commit to and you definitely have to have a structure of what your day looks like if you come home from training and decide to watch a movie and that goes three hours into your bedtime you'll wake up the next day and you'll be tired that's why you know I go to bed every day 10 o'clock that's it lights out so it's definitely something that you have to be prepared for. And it's one of the sacrifices that a lot of girls have to make. Not only girls, any athlete does. And it includes, you know, missing out on parties, missing out on socializing. Yes, those aspects, you know, you have to minimize and restrict them. But it's part of the regime, like he said, that we have to be, you know, in and commit to. <laughs> one of the things that I do find really interesting just talking to yourself Alex is there's a bit of a there's a bit of a a bridge between rhythmic gymnastics can seem like you're twirling things around especially to someone that doesn't really understand what the sport is now it's actually quite refreshing to hear that even something can come across as quite more of a dance I guess like it's not like throwing things at people it's not diving across every you know it's not as aggressive looking if you will as some of the other sports out there but it's very refreshing to hear that it is still tough 
it is still every day. It is still regimented. It is still you're up doing the swimming or the walks or the running or the all those things that it takes isn't excluding your sport. Definitely. I can definitely add to that that rhythmic gymnastics, it's going to sound biased, but I personally think it's one of the most difficult sports there is. I can definitely name other sports, including figure skating and synchronized swimming, which I personally think that they are the most difficult sports there are. This is only because rhythmic gymnastics requires flexibility. We sit in splits 10 minutes. That's from a young age. You have to become very flexible. If you're not flexible, it's very difficult to be, you know, become a very good gymnast. You have to be strong. We don't lift weights. We don't do that. But we do have to do a lot of repetitions of push-ups, sit-ups, etc. because we have to be able to hold our bodies in certain positions for a very long time. We have to have aerobic capacity like a runner because we do routines from morning to evening. You have to have, you know, good lungs. <laughs> we also have to be able to express our emotions. Not everyone is born naturally with very emotional, you know, emotions, not being able to show what they want to show. Yeah. So that's another aspect which you have to develop from a young age or it comes to you naturally. Uh, and these are the little things that all make up this difficult sport. And once again, we train the longest hours out of all sports, I would say. We train 10 hours. I personally have been in the gym for 12 hours in a day. Right. So we definitely put in a lot of effort into what we do. And it could just be looking like twirling a ribbon, but twirling a ribbon is actually a lot more difficult than people say it looks like. <laughs> One of the things for just as someone that has competed nowhere near at your level, um, I'm not wouldn't even begin to compare. But I have, I have, I have entered a competition here and there, so I understand what it's like to to do things so much that it's effortless. Because when you're in competition, you're hyper aware, right? The stress levels elevated. You're nervous. You become hypersensitive, hyper aware, and you essentially, I know I did, I don't know about you, but I fell back on my training very heavily when I was nervous. Like when, when it's on the wire and it's this point or you've lost a match or something like that, you fall back on, okay, how good am I at doing these things? What's my natural state? What's my best options here, you know? And then very often... It's your ability to make it effortless that proves just how much work goes into it. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely agree with that. But you have to, you know, you can't doubt yourself and you fake it till you make it. And yes, you can, you know, be like, is it really worth it? Am I actually really good at this? And fall back in training. But sometimes you have to have the bad days in order to have the good days. It's something that I go by as well. And I recommend it to other people because not every champion has, you know, perfect days each day. They have bad competitions. They learn from them. They make a new tactic. They try new things and they progress as an athlete. <laughs> that's that's very well said. And I think that very often, again, it's just the, the impression that people get versus yeah. what goes on behind the scenes. And And I like how refreshing it is to hear that even a sport that can come across as this is a bit strange 
what are they doing? It's it's interesting and very, very positive to hear that, you know, it still takes work. It's difficult. It's a massive skill-based sport. But from now to talking to you as well is <clears throat> if you're tired, if you're too sort of rugged, if you're not very flexible, if you're not strong enough, it can be it can be more difficult for it to be a skill if that makes sense like if if you're yes, it does. if you're struggling it's no longer about technique if that makes sense it's about how physical you are and how capable you are of doing it once you get past that barrier like everyone at your level is healthy reasonably fit you train all the time so yeah. what separates you but it's your technique, it's how good you look, it's how emotional you are, it's how rhythmic you are. And from my own sport and helping other people and talking to other athletes as well, is you need the ability for it to be a technical thing. You need the fitness side. So the only thing that can stop you is their routine is better than yours. A little bit, but I could disagree with you there a little bit only because you don't, I personally don't base myself off other gymnasts. I don't go in the competition being like, oh, she was better than me. Oh, she was worse than me. Oh, what was her score? Or what's she doing now? Only because you have to look in the mirror at yourself to be able to know what you're doing. So you focus on yourself to be able to push the maximum that you can do. You focus on other people, then you're not going to be doing your best job. That's what, you know, I've been taught. That's what my coaches tell me, sports psychologists, and it's what I understand now. So you have to make sure you focus on yourself rather than other people. And also, before you said about, oh, she did better than me, I wouldn't call it a physical aspect rather than the psychologically toughness of a gymnast because not all athletes are able to be you know, if they're tired, not all of them can push through that tiredness. If they're sore, not all of them can push through that soreness. So that's what differentiate the top athletes from the, you know, top athletes, but they're not getting, you know, top consistently. So that's the big, you know, difference between these athletes is the mental approach they take towards their trainings. How far are you willing to go to be able to get where you want to be. <laughs> so I would just disagree only in the part that it's more, you know, psychological approach of the top gymnasts that differs to the others. Because everyone does a lot of the training stuff, don't they? They all they all spend yeah. the in the gym. They all do all of that. And um, it's good that you bring that up because <laughs> it's the same with like whenever I whenever I watch other people watching sports, right? And it happens sometimes. Where, <laughs> where they go, I could have done better, you know, like, yeah. it's so easy. it's, I could do that. And then I've got to hold my tongue a little bit and say, look, given everything that they do and the amount of stress and pressure, and yet they, they probably missed for other reasons other than they're not good at what they do. There's something else going on because they're, they're there. They've done all the work. A bit like yourself. You've done all the work. You're in the gym for hours. You get to the the, the event that you've wanted for, for years and years and years and years and years. And you know, you, you do your best and then you see you see what happens, you know? And to, to, to say that oh, I could have done better. I just 
just about you probably feel the eye roll from the other side of the world I'm just like oh say something like that but again it's that not knowing it's that sort of naivete almost of the the general spectators if you will of, of of different sports and is that something that you've you've ever come up against where like you're trying to explain to people what goes on have you ever had that conversation with someone I definitely have however I never blame it on you know I could have done better only because I after competitions if it wasn't my best competition I will sit after the competition and analyze why it wasn't my best was it the weather that affected me? Okay, what can I do to change it? Was it, you know, the environment inside? Was it the fact that I was overly stressing or under, you know, very relaxed and chilled towards my competition? So I personally go and analyze why I never blame it on other people. I don't, yes, I can blame it on myself, but I don't ask myself, you know, this could have been better. Like I make sure that I understand why it could have been better and what I can do to make sure it's better next time to eradicate any unnecessary mistakes that I might've done. So yes, I've done done it, but I learned from it. And now I always make sure that I ask my question, why did this happen? <laughs> I find it interesting how, how analytical that you are as well. You break everything down, you figure out what happened, how can I do things differently? Have you always done that? Is that a big contributor to the progress that you've made? Or would you say that's something that you've only sort of started to do recently over the next, say, last couple of years? I'd say, you know, from a young age, my parents would always ask me, so, you know, oh, that was a good competition. Like, what did you do? Or, you know, that was a bad competition. Like, what affected you? So from a young age, I'd always be asking myself, like, like what really affected me? Like how come I didn't do my best that I could have done? You know, coaches always ask like, oh, like what was, you know, in your way or what annoyed you or how come you didn't, you know, show me what you've been training for? And also once again, sports psychologists, they always, you know, if I had a bad day, I'd talk through it, through it with them and we'd analyze it. So since, you know, 11, 10, whenever I started sports psychology, I've always been, you know, analyzing my mistakes. It's also part of my nature, my personality, and I'm a very mathematical person. So everything has to be structured. Everything has to have, you know, an angle, a shape. Everything comes from something. So that's also how, like, the way I am and why I think like this. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good. I mean, especially with the sport that you have, it makes sense because you do your full routine you give your all right the 120 percent where you try and find that extra 20 right and then you've got that sort of it's not your job essentially to stack it against anybody else it's out of your hands almost so you kind of like you do it you do your best and then the rest is up to everybody else the other judging panel to decide so i quite like how there's a bit of a detachment, I guess, in that way, because you don't need to judge it. It's other people's job, essentially. Um, so it makes for makes for the analyzing that little bit better. Because <clears throat> again, if I did it personally, it would be great because I can control how I improve. And then yeah. you you do your thing, 
and then you wait and see and then you go back so it's very sort of you do it and then you can sort of analyze it afterwards you know there's no like self um there's there's no self-judgment it's more just objectively looking at what to do differently and then you go at it again essentially yes definitely and uh it's definitely something like you were correct in the thing that you do your best and the judging follows. You can't control the judges. You can't control what the audience thinks of you. You can't control any of that aspect. You can only control what you do and your actions. So that was very, you know, the way I think as well. You know, I make sure I do my 120 and usually results follow. I can say not usually 100% results will come. If it wasn't my 120, then my results will reflect that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very... It's very well said. Very nicely put as well. One of the things that I want to touch on just before we go is this element of the, the goals that you have and your mindset around achieving things. And the reason why I want to bring it up is because very often people can get caught in the achievement cycle or like they're just achieving things. And they're just doing the achieving, the next goal, the next goal, the next goal, the next goal, the next trophy, the next medal. Everything's about that process, that progress, that what's the next goal. So do you feel yourself, not stuck, but do you feel yourself in that cycle? And do you do anything to, I guess, help with the whole enjoying journey or smelling the flowers, if you will, while you're while you're achieving these things? I definitely do enjoy the journey only because I know eventually will end. And because of that, I make sure that I enjoy everything to know 120%, my favorite number. (laughs) So (laughs) I always make sure that I enjoy what I do because without passion, without enjoyment, you won't be able to do your best. It's, you know, it's definitely proven by everyone. So like you said, I am in a cycle, a vicious cycle from going, set my goal, complete it, set my goal, complete it. However, I never make sure I'm, you know, stuck to my achievements because there's a famous, you know, Russian quote, which I always stick to is when you're on a podium, you're a champion, but once you're off it, you're back to nobody and you're back to being a gymnast who's training for her next goal. So once you're on the podium, you know, wave everyone, you know, celebrate, be very happy. But once you're off it, you are back to training and you are back to being, you know, in the gym and working those hours. So, yes, I'm in the vicious cycle. However, I can admit it will eventually end, you know, whenever, you know, any gymnast decides to retire. But that's what life is. You have to, you know, set your goals, achieve them, have mini celebrations afterward with the family, with friends, you know, go out sometime, whatever people like to do. And yeah, you have to enjoy the process. <laughs> yeah. I think it was just nice to, uh, nice to hear your perspective on it because people can get stuck in it. And I like how you don't get so attached to, the achievements and I love the fact that you you're a champion when you're on the podium but when you're yeah. off the podium you're just the same as everybody else yeah. you know you get back to it you do your thing you enjoy the journey as well and then you have that rare moment when you're on the podium and then you're, you're straight back to straight back to work again so Alex it's been great to chat those of you that 
are listening make sure you subscribe because more interviews like this one are coming alex it's been great to chat as i said and i look forward to keeping in touch likewise thank you so much You can find Alex over on Instagram and Facebook. They are the two main places she hangs out. And I look forward to seeing you all again on the next episode.